Welcome to the Connections Healthy Gambling and Gaming Podcast. I'm your host, Tana Russell, with the Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling. In this episode, I get to interview Dr. Paul Jackson, retired from a career in computer engineering, who talks to us about the metaverse, the good, the bad, the positive potential, and the potential for harm and even addiction, with a sneak peek at the future of the metaverse, the omniverse. a bit of an introduction to how you got into the field of computer engineering, what you like to, to do in this field. Okay, so um, I'm trying to make a long story short. Too <laughs> late, <laughs> too late. No, but I'm, um, I'm now a 54-year-old retired uh, mixed reality engineer. Um, I got my PhD in computer engineering from Texas A&M in 1998. I did my undergrad and my master's at an HBCU historical black college called Prairie View. A&M is about 30 miles out of Houston, and Prairie View is part of the Texas A&M system. So after I finished my master's, I was able to get my PhD on a National Science Foundation fellowship. And so I did three years interning at Boeing while I was in grad school. In 98, when I finished and graduated, I got hired full-time. Moved from Texas to Seattle did research work um, in virtual and augmented reality and um, transitioned about 2010 or so into digital video. And so, um, but what turned me on to uh, computers and such, um, my mom was a civilian in the army. She spent 30 years in the army, from like a GS6 up to like a GS18. And so when I was in sixth grade, um, she was able to go to MIT for a year. And so it was that year that blew my mind because uh, the personal computer had kind of just come out. And so um, there was a computer in the bookstore that actually had a printer connected to it. And so I'd spend hours just playing with the thing. And it was also the first year that, for me at least, that um, arcade games came out. And so I had a paper route and I'd spend on my quarters at <laughs> the arcade game playing Asteroids. And so, and it got to the point where I could take one quarter of asteroids and play for hours on that game. So, yeah, so that, that kind of turned me on to the whole computer thing. But it really wasn't until my first year interning at Boeing that got me hyped about virtual reality. This is like 1993. And so VR at the time was not that many people knew about it. But Boeing, because it's a, you know, huge multinational conglomerate, they had a, a section called Mathematics and Computer Technology. And um, it was a self-developed VR system that used silicon graphics uh, machines at the time. They're like $100,000 computers back then with the headset and then um, the AR side um, because wire bundles, every plane you fly in has miles of wires that you can't see. They're all built by hand. And the way they're built is that in Everett or wherever, they have a huge schematic of all the wires and it's plotted on a board. And so the team that I came to took those, uh, those diagrams and put them on a wearable computer, but with a headset, you could see through it. And using augmented reality, one wire at a time would be floating in space. 
as if it's the actual wire that you need to put. And but the, the situation problem was wire bundle assembly is a touch label application. You have to use your hands to connect everything. How do you control a computer if you use your hands all the time? So um, I was brought in to figure that out. And so I, I took a virtual independent speech independent voice recognition system and integrated it into the in-house augmented reality system. And unfortunately, Boeing never adopted that technology back then because this is way before the iPhone and it was all self-built, meaning that the headset that was built in-house at Boeing and the computer system um, also had some issues. Nobody really wanted to wear the headset because it messed up the air, right? So it didn't really um, take off as much as I thought. And also at the time, this is like late 90s, early 2000s, Boeing was doing what the 777, I think it was. And so they were trying to stay afloat because they had spent all this research money in developing the plane. And so, and then um, I, don't, I don't want to get too political, but Boeing is a national, um, international company and military side. That's another reason why Boeing was able to stay afloat. And then Boeing bought, well, I should say, the Donald Douglas bought Boeing, but that's another story. <laughs> so I know Graham, like, well, so please cut me off. Yeah. So that's what got me started in the whole VR thing. <laughs> no worries. Sounds like you've had a very interesting career, but from a young age, uh, using computers just really captured your interest and you've stuck with it. So you've basically been using computers most of your most of your life very intensely since you were a yeah. child. Yeah. And also I played classical violin from yeah. the fourth grade all the way through high school. And so I think art needs to be integrated into the whole STEM situation, science, technology, engineering, and math. It should be STEAM, science, technology, engineering, art, and math, because art is a fundamental component in, in technology. I mean, if you go look at the history of our cells, civilization, we drew, we were artists way back in the day. And so that artwork also, whether it be music or the physical drawing or something, do something with your brain differently, you know? So, um, yeah, so I think it should be seen. I so, love it. And you know, it, music takes math and drawing something in 3D takes math. That makes sense to me. How come I see iBrother on some of your materials and videos? Where did iBrother come from? Oh, geez. Actually, iBrother was a term that was used by an older uh, African-American Macintosh reviewer who unfortunately um, committed suicide. Rodney Blaine was his name, and he used the term iBrother. And so also because, you know, the iMac, the iPhone, and so it's something that just says, okay, I'm not necessarily a, a, a nerd, even though I am. Um, and so it's something simple. That was cute. So the iBrother is a term that I picked up from Rodney Blaine, and I used it because of the whole Macintosh um, marketing, we'll say. I love it. I love it. Um, so I've kind of chatted with you a little bit and seen some of your materials. Um, you're involved in advocacy for social justice and a number of things. And it seems to me like your industry 
might be not just more like male dominant, but maybe more white male dominant. <laughs> is that, is that true? Yes. Is that not true? Like, what has your experience been like in, in that industry? Well, for me, again, um, being a minority, uh, I think in 1988 when I graduated, I think I might have been the only African-American PhD in Virginia and I graduated. And so, and then I moved from oh. Texas to Washington State. And so statistically in Seattle, the African-American population is like 5%, maybe 10 at most. And so I'm going from a white environment in Texas to another white environment in Texas, I mean, in Washington State. And it gets really um, thinned out when you're going into the terminal degree field. And so I'm in a situation, uh, the, the organization was called Mathematics and Computing Technology. And like I was saying earlier, um, that division of Boeing developed a lot of stuff in-house. And so the virtual reality application was developed in-house. And so, again, you don't see a lot of African-Americans in that field. Now, I've gone to some other conferences where, um, yeah, I was the only chip in the cookie. <laughs> only only <laughs> around. So, yeah. And so, um, and then coming from Purview was also interesting. Um, I was born in Philadelphia, lived in New Jersey, Pennsylvania. My mom's from South Carolina, so I spent some summers down there. And then um, when I graduated high school in New Jersey, I went to Texas to go to school. And so that was a whole other issue because I'm a carpet bagger, right? And I got the green eyes. So my mom is a Gullah She lived really close to the coast of South Carolina. And so there was a lot of colorism going on. And I basically had a chip on my shoulder because I grew up on the East Coast. And so I was very progressive at the time for review in Texas, very conservative. And so um, got into a lot of issues there. But yeah, I mean, that is a very, even to today, the number of African-Americans in the high technology field is still very small. And so that's an educational thing. Well, so. thank you, not just for your contributions as a professional, but also what you do to advocate and inspire young people. I mean, that's just lots of respect for that. No, oh, thank you. Appreciate thank it. you. Yeah. So before we get into the metaverse, and, and I'll tie things back to, you know, our specialty, gambling, gaming, behavioral health, I'll tie it back to there. But I want to know, like, in your industry, have you ever witnessed, I don't know if it's you or people you've worked with, struggle with life balance between their work, their screen time, their, you know, versus their personal life, their non-screen time? Does it seem like in this industry, is that kind of a struggle for people who work? I'm retired. I haven't had a job since like 2010 or so. And so um, at least the So your job. life balance is pretty good in retirement right now. Well, I mean, since then, I did work for <laughs> universities and nonprofits in like the 2011 and 12 and 13. But then I was able to get on um, SSDI because I have a disability. And so, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm doing pretty well for myself. I'm not, I can't complain. But, you know, but as far as the life balance thing, um, let's see. When I was at Boeing, there was a, a guy from India that was really high strung, and his, he and his wife had a falling out, and so that was something else. And I had another coworker that would swear all the time and, like, slam stuff, like, in frustration. 
whenever he got into a problem, uh, coding basically. Um, but at the time, I know I was married, my first wife, and had a kid. So um, that didn't come until 20, he's, he's 19, 18 now. So that, you know, it came pretty later. But um, yeah, I mean, I was the only kid growing up. And uh, my mom did get remarried, had twins when I was a junior in high school. But um, yeah, I never really got associated with anybody outside of work um, when I was working at Boeing. Um, yeah, it was pretty slim pickings, basically. Yeah, so it was like family and work and work colleagues. And that was basically... Right. The social structure. Yeah. But actually, there's a men's group in Seattle I joined called the Breakfast Group. It's an African American men. Basically, they're retired now, but um, we mentor give scholarships to high school, Seattle High School Boys of Color. And there are three primary events that we do each year. One is called the Taiwan On Luncheon, where we, um, as after a Thai design competition, the winners of the Thai designs get fabricated, moved, and sold, and the profits roll into their scholarship. But we have a luncheon every year where we're bringing like 30 to about 50 students, and we teach them how to tie a tie. And I'm trying oh. to remember the hotel, this downtown Seattle, it's like a five-star hotel. And so, you know, we bring them in, treat them like an adult, and team them up with somebody for the day, they learn how to tie a tie. The second one is called the All Achievers event where we recognize students for any positive aspect they could have had in their year. It could be personal, it could be academic, it could be physical. And so we recognize those students. Sometimes that's the only time they'll get recognized at all. And so, yeah, those are the two or three programs that we do every year. And now we're doing something called Project Mister Digital. So Project Mister is the mentor program where we go to the high schools in Seattle and we teach and talk with the students about life career choices. But now because of COVID and stuff, it's gone digital. And most kids have a cell phone, a smartphone that they use all the time. And so what we try to do is get the overheads that are retirement to have short uh, conversations that are digitized and filmed and put it on the website that a student would go and look at it on their phone. So Project Mr. Digital is a new term of the, uh, the effort that we're doing, so. Very cool. That's awesome. Good yeah. stuff. All right. So let's talk about the metaverse. And let's assume people have probably heard heard the term by now. It's been all over our, you know, social media culture these days. Uh, but not everybody is, is, is quite familiar with it. And from my conversations with you and some of your work I've seen, it seems like you're pretty comfortable you've been to events and meetings and all you've taught sessions on it how would you describe the metaverse to someone that's only familiar with like basic internet uses well the metaverse is considered web web 3.0 because email yes even video chats and even zoom yes but web 3.0 is when you can have a three-dimensional version of that and so the metaverse to me is being able to um, have a space that's created and used by people to have joint meetings, go on vacations. There's a, a um, even for the metaverse, there's a program called Second Life. The Second Life was an app that you can simulate going to other places. You have a virtual avatar, and then you can male or female, you can dress up anywhere you really kind of want. 
And people in Second Life were actually had its own currency. And so they were building things in Second Life and selling them, like real estate. It's happening now in the metaverse. I mean, if you go to Allspace, I'll talk about it a little bit, um, you can buy real estate in Allspace. But back to Second Life. So there was a documentary that was made about a couple who met in Second Life. They're like different states, different countries, I think. They came together in the real life, but unfortunately it didn't work out because you know meeting somebody face-to-face -face is definitely different from meeting somebody virtually. Um, but yeah, so Second Life and now into Altspace. So Altspace is an application that's available on the Mac and the PC, and it's a, a place where meetings happen. And there are worlds in that Altspace. So, so when I say, I talk about a world, I'm talking about a place that looks just like the real world. When you go into Altspace, you go into your own home, but then there are events that happen. And so the events will have their own worlds. And what's really kind of cool about those, some of those worlds is they use a technology called rotoscoping. And so they can take a two-dimensional picture and if they have enough of them, make a 3D model of the device or, or the entity. And so um, there's a world in Altspace where it's like a historic trip to an old European monument. And the gentleman was able to redo the, some of those sculptures in rotoscope. And so you walk into it, <laughs> it's gonna sound crazy. So I have the headset on, I'm in old space, I'm in this world, and I walk into this bubble and I can go 360 in the bubble and it's like I'm there. I mean, it's got immersion because you feel as though you can reach out and interact with the thing. And in some applications, you actually can. And so there's an application in all space that's based on a homeless camp and a woman living in her tent, right? And it was done by, I don't remember her name. She's a film artist. She's been at South by Southwest. So she's been at some of the other film festivals. But anyway, you go into her world and you're inside the tent and you're hearing her friend saying that the police are coming, you're gonna get shut down, they're gonna shut down this, this camp. And so, but in the, in, the, in the environment, you're sitting in her tent and these objects all around, her, her personal possessions, and you can actually interact with them virtually. So it's, it's an amazing thing. Wow. So like we're using Zoom right now. Right. So it allows for the future for people in different places to meet. But right. then it provides this visually, uh, this setting in which it looks as though they're in the same space. Right. Right. So well, it's like VR, like VR and Zoom, like if it were like a metaverse meeting or something. Okay. Well, you said the same space. Yes. But you're, where are you located? I'm in Lacey, Washington. Lacey, I'm in Tacoma, Washington. Yeah. And so, but again, the fact that we can do this virtually, um, you know, time and space is almost irrelevant. And so, and let's go back to COVID. So COVID to me had a blessing and a curse. Of course, yep. people died, the economy got all screwed up. That's the curse. The blessing is that if you were able to go on the internet, you can experience and visit festivals. I was able to go to screenings, movie screenings. I was able to attend classes. As a matter of fact, in all space, I learned how to use this engine called Unity 3D. 
So Unity 3D is an application that you can create programs with, and you can create movies with, you can create games with it. I hate to say the word games, but yeah, applications. And what's cool about it is that if I'm on a PC, I can develop my app and it can go to a Mac, it can go to an iPhone, it can go to an Android device. And so, but it's Unity 3D. And so I was able to take a class on Unity 3D in Altspace with the instructor, instructor, and there's multiple levels. So you get a basic understanding of what Unity is, then the next class is about building worlds in Unity, then other classes like building uh, VR tools or VR apps in Unity, and there's a fourth one. But anyway, so um, Try Universe is the website um, you can go to to get more information about the classes that he teaches. So yeah, I mean, that's the thing about virtual reality. If you can think it, you can do it. It could, it could be done. Lots of create creative expression and exactly that's very cool. So in your interactions with metaverse platforms, what has excited you most? Um, I think for me, what excited me most is um, I love storytelling, and so what excited me most is that in the metaverse, I can tell stories. The yeah, the ability to tell stories with the potential to allow people to experience the story. I could see how that could really change people's learning experience of a historical event or a procedure they need to learn. Uh, That's got a lot of cool potential. Yeah, there's tons of uh, experiences and research doing right now in virtuality and doing surgery. And so um, a couple of years ago, there was a surgery where they took the 3D model of a person through CAT scans and MRIs and let the doctor be able to put on a headset and do a virtual operation based on the scans that were done of the, the, of the person. This is like maybe 10 years ago. So the technology is there. It's just, uh, unfortunately, it's um, the people's understanding of it and the acceptance of it is still a little glitchy, I think. Um, but it's getting better. And so, as you mentioned, you know, everyone knows about the metaverse because mm-hmm. Facebook um, has really good. But most recently I heard that Facebook has been siding with a lot of the white supremacist, white supremacist organizations and being able to um, use the platform to do stuff that is really unethical. But, you know, that's 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 life. That's what happens. Well, that that kind of brings me to my next question for you, which is what have you seen in, in metaverse platforms that worries you or concerns you? Oh, well, again, um, in all space, even there might be some worlds actually I went to one last week. It's, it was not evil, but it's satanic. I mean, it was like a dungeon and red was everywhere. Bricks were everywhere. And a guy was dressed up like a devil, like a like a, a, a an evil person, and so I can definitely see how those environments can be played or could be situated to teach people how to be evil. I mean, everybody's worried about AK-47s, and so you know you, you can go and, get, and buy off the shelf how to make something into a rapid gun thing. So yeah, so I mean. So kind of just like just like the internet has uh, the best and worst of our society all exactly. over it, 
the metaverse is just another platform where maybe some nefarious activities or right. some activities with um, ulterior motives or right. malicious intent might right. have a a place. Hopefully yeah. there might be some, I don't know if like customer protections is really the right word, but hopefully there's there's some sort of monitoring for illegal activities or, or <sighs> things like that to hopefully... Enforce the law is really slow with that. technology. You know, I know. Law, I think right? you're so it's far behind. Yeah. Exactly yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, but it, it, would, it would be up to like individuals to be, to know not to do such a thing and to be able to tell somebody if it happens. But who do you tell? You know, if I wanted to go, I mean, uh, um, this is a stupid example, but if I were to go off space and realize that someone did something that was like inappropriate. I can flag them. I can go to all spaces and you know say this person's doing this and this. But in other spaces, because there are a lot more worlds than all space, a lot more applications that are that are just not only all space. But yeah, um, where do you go? That's where the tort law comes in. So you gotta figure it out. So So you, you could flag them on the platform you're using and say right. this user has done something inappropriate, but then right. they can just go to a different platform and do exactly. the same thing. Right. So when it comes to metaverse potentials, right? Because while, as you mentioned, like VR has been around in the 90s, metaverse is still pretty new, even though it's been around in some circles for a bit, but it's got a lot of potential. What are the potential benefits or potential harms that you're anticipating? Well, again, the benefits for me, being from the industrial commercial manufacturing side, is being able to train up assemblers to you know repair things and build things and not only assemblers but it also goes through medication and it goes through music i mean you can learn how to play an instrument in the universe right um so yeah i mean education is key that's why i don't like to use the term games even though you know computers and graphics and games go together but i think there are a lot more applications that are available um beyond games and so simulation and training i think is a primary one so, um, yeah, so that's the good side. But again, the bad side is that, you know, we can train somebody how to kill somebody. We can train somebody how to put together a gun. We train somebody how to put together a bomb or something, you know, so it's, it's one of those things. So they're, they're definitely gonna have to consider how to have this precarious balance between people's right to privacy, but also their right to a safe space. Exactly, yep. And where do you draw the line? I mean, with the battle right now is over abortion, right? So for the longest time, we're thinking, okay, it's my body, it's my choice. But then the powers that be are saying no. Even, even if you get raped, you gotta have the kid. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. So that's why I don't live down, you know, down in Texas or Florida or Georgia. I'm in Washington State, which is a pretty green state. And so but the battle is so happening. What's what's the overlap between gambling or gaming? That's kind of our area. And of course, gambling and gaming today are very digitized. Gambling, sports betting is very gamified. Of course, the metaverse provides another platform. What are you seeing as the overlap between metaverse platforms and gambling and gaming? Well, um, the reason I brought up Unity 3D is because Unity 3 is used a lot for the, the display of casino games and such. And then, um, but I also know that people who win 
a lot of money through a lottery, within five to 10 years, they're broke again. I mean, even with the athletes, you know, we're hearing all these uh, superstars, athletes who get these millions of dollars, but then within 10 years or five years after, after they leave this sport, they're broke because they didn't learn how to manage the money first. They were still trying to live that lifestyle that they were doing back in the heyday. And it doesn't work that way. But yeah, the link between gaming and casino stuff is 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 the the being greed. You know, everybody wants to be able to live on a yacht and to have champagne all day long and everything else. So yeah, it's just yeah. Huh. And in and in the metaverse, you could have that lifestyle. Yes and no. In that platform. But you can't consume anything. Right. right? You, you couldn't drink it out of there. You couldn't eat it. But people could gamble money out of their bank account there. Yes. That's the thing about Second Life, because I was saying that there is actually currency in Second Life that mm -hmm. you exchange real money for Second Life money. And you can do that also. But as you're saying, you can spend all your real money in Second Life and not have any left. And so, like, yeah. like, like even um, games on your, on your cell phone, you can invest and purchase things in the game on a cell phone, but then that's real money that's being wasted in the game, much like when you go buy a lottery ticket. I mean, the chances of winning are, like, astronomical, but people are still winning. And so, you know, my wife and I did buy the last, you know, mega million chart, whatever, and we'll probably win again. But we're not like doing our rent money or mortgage money to buy tickets for that, right? So there's a common sense deal that goes with that. Right. And you mentioned earlier with Second Life, money gets converted into Second Life money. And that's kind of this classic thing you see in, in games and gambling games on mobile devices. Right. I imagine the metaverse platforms will probably adopt something similar where I have to take my currency, convert it into theirs. Right. It's only ever good from then on out on their platform. Right. And what happens for a lot of these is, should I get any money in that game or what, whatever, it may not be able to be withdrawn back into my bank account. It may exactly. only be to use on that platform. Like if you like if you try to return something and they only let you get it for like in-store credit basically. Exactly. Right? It's like in-store credit except for the game. <laughs> or the, like well, I mean, no, I can't get it. I could take so all I can take out of my bank account cannot go back in. Right. I think NFT is actually a good example of that also. NFT, non-fungible terminal, non-fungible. Uh -huh. I forgot the NFT so anyway, yeah, that was another money marketing scam from people say that you there's what what is the nft based on where the us dollar used to be based on gold but yeah what do you base nfts on and so there's all these computers out there that are generating this fake money and people are investing in it and some are making money some are not but yeah that's another um interesting pool of yeah yeah do you see any potential so like right now, when we talk about behavioral or tech-based addictions, we might refer to video gaming addiction, internet addiction, social media addiction, et cetera. Do you see potential for metaverse addiction? Yes, definitely. Because, <laughs> and I hate to use this term, but pornography, 
is a huge one to be addicted to. And mm -hmm. so if I'm not going to be able to go into a, an environment, a virtual environment, and have all my crazy sexual fantasies filled, I'm never going to leave, right? So not say me, but that person may never want to leave. And so, yeah, there's definitely a high, high level of addiction that's possible in the metaverse. So Yeah. And actually, you touched on something that comes up quite a bit. We have a series of gaming-related trainings, and many of the, the presenters we contract with in these trainings are constantly talking about the overlap between video game addiction and other co-occurring disorders, pornography being a big one. Huge. Yeah. Huge. It's a multi-billion yeah. dollar company, so yeah. 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 Um, what would you say... Uh, what would you, what kind of advice would you give for tips on healthy, balanced life? Cause you know, these days we, we work online, we'll play online, we'll relax online. Now we'll even go to concerts and museums online. Like there's just, yeah, there's just, we're just inundated with messages to get back online, get back online. What? What's your personal view on like any tips to, to maintain life balance here? Oh, I say moderation and discretion is something I come and say and put a long clock and say, okay, I'm only going to watch this for between now and whenever. And I have to be disciplined and know that after three hours or five hours or eight hours, you got to take it off and then come back to the real world. And so, yeah. So even with the screen, because I do a lot of video editing. So I'm on, all day on my laptop. Unfortunately, I have two screens, but still, um, I have to give myself a break every, mm -hmm. you know, every couple of hours because my eyes get dry and get, things get fuzzy looking. And so, and as I'm getting older, my my um, uh, what's it called? Not psoriasis. What is it? Eye, an eye disease? Cataracts? Not cataracts, but it's close to cataracts. Anyway, I'm on medication for that because uh, I'm. I went to my eye doctor and said, he said, your, your eye pressure is looking a little weird, glaucoma. That's what it is. And so um, I'm on medication for glaucoma. And so, yeah, medically, yeah. that can mess you up too. You know, I was watching some videos online of people who decided to do a self-experiment uh -oh. where they put on yeah. <laughs> I know, it's already going badly, right? They put on <laughs> VR glasses and lived in them one yes. for 24 hours one for a week yes or maybe longer and both of them were like never do this <laughs> they're like it was awful they talked about headaches migraines trouble sleeping exactly. dizziness nausea motion sickness and just mental exhaustion now they they said i kept they could keep them on because i guess there's you know, a setting where you can still see your space. You're not running into the walls in your house or whatever. Right. Um, but it's like augmented reality. Right. They're still seeing through the goggles and then they're doing all of their work during right. the day with them yeah. on. Um, yeah, and it was interesting just hearing them talk about what they went through physically uh, on their body. Yeah. Doing that. Yeah. So, I mean, again, the VR thing, because our bodies are so used to having real-time stuff, when we move our head, you see things change. But in virtuality, the computer has to redraw that. So that takes a little time. And if there's any delay in that, that's how you get sickness. It's proprioceptive because your body is one way, but you're seeing something different. 
and disconnect is where nausea and everything else comes from. But yeah, that's, I mean, I think I saw the one with the guy for two hours, no, 24 hours. And I think it, I saw the one for the week, but I didn't look at it, I heard about it. So yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there's physical things going on, definitely. Yeah, and if someone's, and what we know about addiction, if there's potential here, is the, the physical side effects are not in and of themselves a deterrent right. from the activity. So people will continue the activity despite both mental, psychological, and physical repercussions mm-hmm. from it. Yeah, and it, it's interesting that this this also is is going to come with that. On the other side, I've, they were intentionally doing this. They'd set a time, right? Okay. Of course, they don't re- recommend it. But on right. the other side, I've heard heard people say that it's. Um, they think it might be less addicting in a sense because of that physical exhaustion where you can't just sit in a chair in front of your computer screen for an entire work day. Um, sometimes they say that 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 feeling like I need to take these glasses off might come after an hour or so. And, and they say it might be less addicting in that aspect because it's not as easy to right. do for long periods of time. Right. I thought that was interesting to consider. Yeah, but again, it's like a snowflake. Everybody's different. So Everybody's some, different. Yeah, some people could sit for eight or ten hours at a time in one chair looking at one thing with a headset on or a screen. And so yeah, and sometimes the job requires that, that much time, you know, like editing video or editing music or writing a program or creating a website. That could take it's hours. Tolerance. Yeah. So it's really dependent on the situation. Interesting. Well, thank you. Is there anything else you want to add? Or any messages um, you'd like people uh, you'd like to leave people with? Well, thanks, Todd. I appreciate this conversation. I think it went pretty well. Um, yeah, I guess I would just advise people moderation and discretion. If you are interested in being in the metaverse, just go ahead and get a headset, and but just be careful with the use of it. Um, there are tons of apps that are out there available that do things from working out, like Supernatural is, a, is an application. We actually, in real life, get paired up with a trainer, and you're doing striking and moving and stuff like that, and you can lose weight in that. But on the flip side, there's some counter stuff that's not quite as good uh, in in VR. So as far as good, as far as, like, healthy outcome, right? It's one thing to work out, but if something else, if it's diabolical or, or, or evil, you don't want to do it. And so I think that just comes from your home training and what what you're raised on you know everybody's got a moral compass some people compasses are just a little off school mm-hmm. yeah so listen to your your instincts a little bit there oh and i wanted to mention we've got in our resources one of them that you introduced me to gatherverse yes which had a whole series yeah crystal mental, yeah a whole series on like mental health and wellness in the metaverse yes. yeah it was great cool excellent so crystal lafayette is after my brother who lived in um, Silicon Valley. And at one time he was homeless living in his car, but now he's like a major spokesperson talking about the metaverse. And there's another term called omniverse that's gonna come out because omniverse is even bigger than the metaverse. The situation with the metaverse is that you have to have a standard, right? But the omniverse is beyond the standard because it's more interactive in that way. So you can use like the meta and other um, applications and the company 
that came up with Omniverse is a company that creates computer graphic cards. And I'm pulling a blank on the card. It's been a company, but yeah, so you'll hear about the Omniverse in the upcoming weeks and months. So yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Maybe we'll have to have an update next year if the Omniverse has made a big splash. We'll see. <laughs> you know, they say that um, Moore's law that the transistor doubles every four years, I think it's that. But now with the fact that since the metaverse, we're going to have to double not only the speed of the internet, but the the graphic speed of the computer. And now the fact that we're gonna put it on a cell phone or on you know a chip that's from a cell phone, um, that's just gonna increase the, the 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 need for that power. So yeah. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Well, thank you. You gave me a lot to consider. Okay. Uh, got a lot of education. Of course, I've been diving into researching metaverse and watching videos. I didn't create my own account, but I've watched plenty of other people in theirs. Okay. And I still feel like I'm about 1% okay. <laughs> acquainted with it. Uh, but thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for okay. your time and your expertise and, sure. and take care. Thank you too. Thanks for listening. Here's where to find us. You can learn more about the Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling at our website at www.evergreencpg.org. You can also find us and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Please know that if you or a loved one is seeking help for problems caused by gambling, you are not alone and help is available. You can find help and resources 24-7 through the Washington Problem Gambling Helpline at 1-800-547-6133. That's 1-800-547-6133. There's help for anyone affected by problems caused by gambling, whether it's your own or someone else's. And we love seeing people get the help they need to live the life they want. Thank you.